We're in a five-week series, and this is the third message of five that we are covering, and the title of the message or the title of the series is Keep Calm. And in the first of the series, we explained to you that this was the first message. We explained that, that there was a poster found in England that was printed in 1939. It wasn't distributed very widely, but there was a poster found, and it said, keep calm and carry on. And you've seen that in different places. You've seen it in, in stores and, and places where you can buy a poster like this or something like that. And then different variations have come out, and as we've indicated, some appropriate, not some, uh, some not so appropriate. But in these messages, we're hoping that you will find something within them uh, to calm your spirit in a day when our spirits can be in turmoil, quite honestly. This is a, um, a difficult time in the history of man, and I hope that this will be a blessing. The first message was keep calm and carry on. The second one was keep calm and have faith. And the third one is likened to the second one, keep calm and pray. And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 today. Our text will be verses 7 through 10. You've probably seen the movie, The Santa Claus, where uh, Tim Allen, after causing uh, Santa to fall off his roof and die, becomes a, uh, the new Santa Claus. And in that movie, Tim's ex-wife and her new husband both confess that they no longer believe in Santa Claus. They even tell when it was in their lives that they stopped believing in him and what uh, caused it. Um, it was when the request that they had made uh, of Santa were denied, and then they stopped believing in him. The woman had requested a, a special doll and, uh, that she wanted, and she never did get it, so she stopped believing in Santa. How many of you remember uh, what the stepdad uh, requested? Any of you remember what the stepdad requested? He requested a weenie whistle like the Oscar Mayer hot dog, and uh, he didn't uh, get that. It's kind of a strange uh, thing. It didn't take much to knock him off the belief bandwagon, I'll tell you that. <clears throat> but when they didn't get what they wanted, they responded by just closing themselves off to any reality of uh, anybody like a Santa Claus. Well, I gave that to you because that's the way a lot of people are regarding God. Some people respond that way to God when they don't receive what they ask for. Ted Turner, who actually is a local resident uh, sometimes, um, Ted Turner is a self-admitted doubter, uh, to say the least, and he came from a strict Christian upbringing. He even uh, considered becoming a missionary at one point in his life. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution quoted him as saying that he was saved seven or eight times in his life. Um, let me just stop right there and say he should have been a Baptist, shouldn't he? Uh, <clears throat> then he would have just gotten saved once, and that would have stuck uh, because uh, there is security in the believer. But he came to a, a place where he was disenchanted with Christianity when despite his prayers for his little sister, <clears throat> who was very ill, she died, and it broke his heart. <clears throat> it broke his heart, and it caused him to doubt the reality to doubt the existence, uh, to doubt the presence and the love of God. No matter how spiritual you may be, 
there are going to be times when the prayers that you offer are answered with a no. No matter how close to God you may walk, sometimes God is going to say no. It doesn't matter how much you've sacrificed. It doesn't matter how much you have endured uh, for uh, the cause of Christ. Uh, You can ask the Apostle Paul, because Paul endured a lot of discouragement and persecution as, as he served the Lord. And he was as good a Christian as the Bible has to offer. However, he found that there were times that even for him, that heaven seemed silent. Even for him, there was no answer to his prayer. Now, if it happened to Paul, it can certainly happen to me, and it can certainly happen to you. Can you keep calm and continue to pray even when it seems that your prayers are not being answered? Are you able to do that? Well, I hope today, when you leave here, you'll know a little bit more about keeping calm even when you're praying and the prayers do not seem to be answered. Oftentimes, God answers in an affirmative way, or sometimes God gives a different answer. Sometimes He says for us, well, you just need to wait until you're ready for the answer that you're asking. And then there are times, and you should know this, that God says no. Just like our parents said no, and just like as we parents have to say no, there are times when God says no. Now, how do we respond when God says no, or when God gives us any answer other than the one that we wanted to hear? How do you respond? Do you lose your cool? Do you panic? Do you jump off the deep end? Do you stop believing in God? How do you deal with that? Well, Paul answers that in our text. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to begin at verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I want to show you several things that Paul learned from this passage of Scripture and things that we should learn. And the first one is that we should learn to always trust God's reason or trust God's reasoning. Earlier in the chapter, Paul had this to say as he was relaying some of the tremendous spiritual victories and encounters with God that he had experienced. In 2 Corinthians 12, 6, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Now, here's what Paul is saying. If, if you want to hear about someone who's heard from God, if you want to talk with somebody who's had a personal encounter with God, if you want to know who knows about uh, what God, how God speaks and what God has to say, I could tell you that. But he said, I'm not doing that. I'm not putting myself in that position. And there's a reason 
that I'm not putting myself in that uh, position. And the reason is because I don't want you to think more highly of me than you ought to think of me. I don't want you to think that I'm somebody when really it's God. It's the God that I serve who is somebody. So all that Paul has to say about his prayer for healing is within the context of an understanding that God's reputation and will is of greater importance than his own reputation and his own will. He knew that if God had not answered his prayer in the manner that he expected, then God had a reason for that, and God had a good reason for that. Now, there's a lesson here for all of us, because all of us have certain matters in our lives that are not resolved to our satisfaction. We have issues that will not go away. All of us do. There's not anybody in this room that has had every single thing go the way that you wanted it to go. There's not anybody in this room that has, uh, that has prayed to have something uh, done in their life or asked God for something that God said yes every time. We're all <clears throat> going to experience the kind of things that Paul experienced. Now the question is this, how do we treat <clears throat> those difficulties and those trials that persist in our lives? How do we handle them? Do you handle them <clears throat> as nuisances? Uh, do you ignore them? <clears throat> do you just want them to go away? Are, are they problems that will eventually solve themselves? Do you just grin and, and bear it? All of us have issues in life that should be taken to God in prayer. But the question is, do we? And if we don't, why <clears throat> don't we? Or why did we stop? Is it that we fear God's answer? And, or is it that we hesitate <clears throat> to trust God with something? By the way, there is this thing that happens all the time. People will trust the Lord <clears throat> in 60% of their life, but there's 40% of their life that they reserve for their own understanding. <clears throat> or they trust the Lord in, in 90%, and there's 10% of their life that they trust God, <clears throat> they trust to their own understanding, or just the reverse. They trust their own understanding in 90%, and they trust God with 10%. There are those people who trust God to get them to heaven, but they don't trust Him with anything else. And so <clears throat> the, the question today is, should we be able to trust God for everything at all times, even when it seems like the answer to our question or the answer to our prayer is not being answered. Now, Paul's view of the issue of his life was more along the lines of those things being a gift, that is, those unanswered prayers being a gift that God had given him to help him control other areas of his life. There were areas of his life that needed to be controlled, and Paul said, I believe that God has given me a gift uh, in not answering the prayer that I had prayed in order to control these other areas. He said that God had given him a thorn in the flesh, an issue of life that would not go away. And as bad as it might have been, he trusted God for the reason behind the unwanted gift. He didn't want that gift, and he trusted God for the reason behind that unwanted gift. Now, in a moment, we'll see the importance of continuing to pray. But we must trust God, and we must think of all of the issues of life to be a gift from God in some way. God has given us many gifts, including those things that sometimes appear to be thorns in our flesh. God, Paul said, I was given this gift from God. 
And, and we have to come to understand that God can and God will use whatever those gifts may be. He'll use them in our lives. Remember this. Gifts are supposed to come from people who love us. I don't think I've ever walked down the street or walked, gone to the mall and had someone walk up to me and say, look, I just purchased this gift and I want to give it to you. I want you to have it. I don't know who you are. I don't know anything about you, but uh, I just feel like that today you ought to have this gift. That's never happened to me. Now it may have happened to you and it does happen sometimes, but typically we receive gifts from people who love us. And let me say this, the best gifts come from those people who know us best. Now there's some things that you could give me if you don't know me very well. You'd think, boy, he'd really like to have this. For instance, if you gave me all of the gear to go camping, you gave me a tent, you gave me uh, sleeping bags, you gave me little outdoor stoves, you gave me bug spray, you gave me everything that I would need to go camping, including an idea where I could go and rough it for a few days, I would thank you like this. Well, thank you. Because I will tell you, that's the last thing on the face of this earth that I want to do. Now, some of you love it, and I'm glad that you love it. But I'm here to tell you that my idea of camping is the third floor of the Hilton. That's my idea of camping. It's just the truth. I don't enjoy it. Uh, God let me be born in a day when there was air conditioning, and I believe that he expects me to utilize that air conditioning. That's just the way it is. You just don't know me well enough to give me something that, that uh, I would really enjoy. Now, it, just in case, and I, I don't think this ever happened, but just in case that you gave me something that's camping related along the way, uh, I apologize uh, for what I just revealed to you, but, <clears throat> you know, that's just the way that it is. There are certain things that, that you just wouldn't give me if you really knew me. Those best gifts come to us from the people who know us best. Gifts, even the kind of gift that we're talking about with the Apostle Paul, are designed to bring joy in our lives. Here's what James said about gifts that come to us that were kind of unwanted. He said, I count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet with trials of various kinds. So even the trials, even the difficulties, even the hard things are gifts from which we are supposed to get some kind of joy. Now, how can we see unanswered prayer as a gift? How in the world can we say, well, God, you didn't answer my prayer, so I want to thank you for the gift of the unanswered prayer. I want to give you two ways that you might be able to navigate the disappointment and actually see what God's answer of no as a gift to you. First of all, we have to learn to rely on God's wisdom. At some point in our Christian life, we must come to the place of believing that God knows what is best for our lives rather than trusting that we know what's best for our lives. Here's something that some of you have said. In fact, maybe most of you said it. It could be that all of us have said this at one time. We say something like this. Well, if I know my heart, and then we go on and talk about what it is that we might do or say if we know our heart. Yet the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We can't even know our own heart. 
And we certainly don't know what is best for our lives. We know some of the things that we think are best for our lives. We know those things that are revealed in His Word as being best for our lives. But there are times when the thing that we thought was best is not the best thing for us. Here's what Solomon, the wise man, wrote in Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Now, that's a big thing. It's a big thing to give up control to your own life. That's a huge thing. Giving God full reign. And and let me just stop and say this, as though we could do anything else. You, You know what's funny? We take control of our lives and God takes, uh, is looking at us going, you really think you've got control of your life, don't you? <clears throat> you think you're really in charge, don't you? You're not really in charge. I'm in charge. I'm God. I'm in charge. Yet we try to take control so life becomes a struggle. Look, giving God full reign is to trust Him when answers to prayer seem much different than we might prescribe. Now, why do we do that? We're all smart people, aren't we? Why would smart people like us give up our right to control our own lives? Now, this may come as a surprise. It, this, this is going to come as a surprise. But I'm going to tell you something you can hang your hat on. In fact, already in this service, it has been mentioned as I prayed at the beginning of the service. Here's what Isaiah learned that every one of us should learn in Isaiah 55 and verse 8. God is doing the talking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now here's something that all of us have to come to. We have to understand that God always has a better idea. There's never a time that our idea is better than God's. There's never a time that our way is better than His skeptics and scoffers might think otherwise, but for the most part, it is because they do not know and trust God. Again, it goes back to what we believe, what we believe about creation. Here's the thing. If I believe that I'm a created being, then I believe that I have a creator. If I have a creator, if I have a maker, then here's what I know. I know that my maker knows more about me than I know about me. And in this world where there is no creation anymore, in this world where everything has evolved and continues to evolve, in this world where everything is relative to the culture, in this world where life is a moving target, uh, people say, well, I'm mad at God because God didn't do what I want. Instead of understanding that God is absolute and God is good and God is great and God is kind and God is our maker and whatever God says is best for me. God created a perfect world. It was the Garden of Eden, for crying out loud. It was through the temptation of Satan and the fall of man that thorns and diseases and depression and dysfunction and all those things came. And let me just say this to you. None of those dysfunction or diseases or problems of life came to you because of God. They came to you because of sin in this world. That's why. That's the reason. Were it not for Adam and his disobedience, I would be preaching this morning without clearing my throat one time. I'm so mad at him, but I'm not mad at God about it. Because God didn't do this. God is good all the time. There are times when the wisdom and the goodness of God serves up a different answer to our prayers than we might expect. Nevertheless, 
God is good and God is wise. Rely on God's wisdom. And here's the second thing. Always remember God's blessings. Now we're talking about being able to trust God's reason. How do you trust God's reason? Well, you rely on God's wisdom and you always remember his blessings. Now, Paul said something very interesting in the first verse of our text today. He said, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Now, sometimes we read things, we see them, and we say, all right, well, that's good. But it's, it's good once in a while to park your car. And it's good to get out of your car and to walk around in a verse a little bit and take a look and say, well, now, what's going on here? So let's walk around in this just a little bit. And Paul says, he kept me from becoming conceited. All right. All right. There was something that had happened in Paul's life for which he could become conceited. And it had to do with the surpassing greatness of revelations. Here's what's happening. When it seems that God goes silent, Paul remembers how he has already spoken to him in what Paul calls surpassing uh, greatness of revelations. God has already spoken to me in such great ways they pass any sense of understanding or any sense of, of thinking that God hasn't blessed me. God has done tremendous things for me. Uh, Paul had already heard from God to such a degree that never hearing from God again would not be as though God had done us wrong. That is a difficult, straight up place to come to in our life. But let me tell you, when you come to that place in your life, it's a big deal. When you come to that place in your life where you say, look, God, you don't have to do one more thing for me ever for me to know how good you already are. You don't have to do one more thing for me in my life for me to know how good and how great you have already been to me. God has done so much for us that if he stopped today, We haven't had enough in our blessing bank to praise him throughout eternity. Now, let me just stop and say this. That's not just preaching. That's the real thing right there. And and if you do not understand and appreciate that, here's my encouragement to you. Go to another part of this world. Go to Africa. Go to Kenya. Go to Togo, West Africa. Here we might see some uh, poverty, some degree of poverty. But in those places you see starvation. After church today, we're going to have to make a decision of what we're going to eat. There are people in Kenya and, and other parts of the world who have to try every day to see if they're going to eat, not what they're going to eat. I think we have to stop and remember that God has been so good to us. Do you need an answer from God? Have you prayed about something, but still you're not at at rest with the outcome? Well, here's an idea. Before fretting or doubting God, Try to recall what God has already done for you. 
Has he been good enough to you already? Would the answer to this need just be more of his goodness? Chances are it would be. None of us here could say, God, could you answer this prayer and finally do something good for me? (laughs) He has been so good for so long that another good thing is just more of his goodness. I'm certainly not discouraging you from praying. In fact, just the opposite. But we cannot allow ourselves to forget the goodness that he has already shown. Here's what a verse from, uh, from John tells us. For his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Uh, the pastor, I've, I've just lost his name, pastor right now, First Baptist Church, Jacksonville. Uh, Mac, Mac Brunson. <clears throat> Mac Brunson is a, a tremendous guy, a tremendous pastor. And I, I heard him preach one time, and he was talking about what his wife does for, uh, for Sunday night after church. Um, and she, for some reason, for years, their Sunday night meal has been grits. And, and he loves grits. And he, he talks about how his wife prepares grits for him. I don't know if they have anything else. Uh, you know, I'd at least have biscuits with it, but, uh, but she likes, he, he, she has, gives him grits. And so here's what happens. He, he does, uh, she comes and she'll do a big pot of grits and she'll walk up and she'll take the, the bowl of grits and she will put a huge ladle of grits on his plate. I've heard Mac Brunson, Brunson, uh, excuse me, Mac Brunson tell this story. I got a friend named E.J. Brunson, and I get him mixed up with Mac Brunson. Uh, <clears throat> I've heard Mac Brunson tell this story that <clears throat> that she'll put this big ladle of grits on top of uh, of his plate, and he'll start to take the plate. And she says, "Wait a minute." He says, "Then she takes another ladle, and she gives me grits." upon grits. By the way, there are a couple of you, that's the first time you've ever amened anything <laughs> since I've been preaching. <clears throat> grits upon grits. That's the way to look at the goodness of God. God just heaps them up on us. God just stacks them higher and higher and higher and higher. He's given us grace upon grace. And when we think that the grace is about to slide off the side, he just piles more grace. When you pray and ask God for something, that's not the first grace that that he's ever given to you. He's given you and me grace upon grace. Now, from this side of life, we see trouble after trouble. But from God's side of life, there is grace upon grace. You remember the old song that says, when darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. And every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. God's been so good to us. You know the first thing that you ought to do? You ought to trust God's reason. Here's the second thing to do. Try praying more. Just try to pray more. Paul would certainly recommend that to us. 
2 Corinthians 12 and verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, <clears throat> that it should leave me. Now, Paul had been praying a lot. Paul prayed <clears throat> consistently, persistently, and he prayed passionately. Paul pleaded with God. The word that is translated pleaded is the same word that is used to describe the way that Jairus asked for the healing of his daughter who was dying. That's in Matthew 5. It's the same word <clears throat> for the leper who sought cleansing from his leprosy in Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. And it is how a servant <clears throat> begged his master for mercy over a bill that was owed so that he wouldn't be thrown in prison and separated from his family. The same word that's found in Matthew 18, 29. Because he accepted that God, what God had for him <clears throat> does not mean that Paul stopped praying. Paul interceded earnestly, uh, prayed with great fervor time after time. He didn't stop praying. That We shouldn't stop praying. We ought to try praying more. The first response of many people when God doesn't come through for them is to give up on God <clears throat> or to give up on prayer. This is usually long before they ever get to the pleading level. They may have hinted, they may have suggested, <clears throat> they may have thought about, they may have asked, but it's doubtful that they have pled with God for an answer. Yet Paul said, I pled with God over <clears throat> and over again for an answer. Now, the only reason that Paul quit praying for this particular request was because God had given him an answer. And you know what God's answer was? God's answer was, no, I'm not going to do what you ask for. Now, that's what we ought to do. We ought to just keep praying until we know God's answer. We ought to keep pushing in prayer. You ought to think about it like this. Pray until something happens. Just push. Continue to push. Don't give up <clears throat> Don't give up praying until something happens to either change your situations or to change you. If your heart is in turmoil over an issue of life, plead with God until something happens. So we've seen a couple of things today in keeping calm and praying. We've seen the importance of trusting God's reason. We've seen that we ought to try to pray more. Now here's the third thing. Tune your heart to God. Get in tune with God. After Paul pled with God, he discovered something about the thing for which he was praying. Verse 8, three times I pleaded, and I see that word, that's a begging, pleading, really getting a hold of God. <clears throat> three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. He got in tune with God so he could hear what God had to say. In the first few days after the downing of the Twin Towers, there were <clears throat> specially trained crews that brought in listening devices so they could hear and listen for sounds of people trapped inside the rubble. And these devices were so sensitive that they could pick up the sound of someone crying for help. They could even pick up, in certain cases, the beating of a human heart through all of that. The concern of these uh, people was not for revenge or for rebuilding of the towers or even the, the country to be united in patriotism. Their only concern was they wanted to hear that voice. 
They wanted to hear that person. There were so many noises going on all around them that it was difficult to hear from the ones they really needed to hear from. There was heavy equipment at moving steel girders, and there was debris falling, and there were uh, sirens, and there were F-16s flying overhead, so that when they did hear one tiny, small voice, it was a tremendous victory. And everybody came together for victory because they had heard that one small voice. See, that's where we really should be with God. God sometimes has to remove all the noises of our lives in order <clears throat> for us to hear His voice. We allow so many things to compete for our attention in life. There's a secret to getting in tune with God. What is that secret? You already know it. The secret is found in Psalm 46 and verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You know, God can speak to us anywhere, at any time, through any situation. We shouldn't limit what God can do or where God can be found. Elijah didn't hear it where he expected, <clears throat> and, and he didn't hear it in the great wind or the fire or the earthquake. You know where he heard it? He heard it in a gentle whisper. He heard it <clears throat> in a small voice. And God uses everyday occurrences to show us his will, and his answer to our prayers. You've had that to happen, haven't you? You've come to a place, have you not, where you were <clears throat> looking at, uh, uh, you were involved in something and there was a small nuance of that thing that happened and you said, well, God, there it is right there. There's the answer right there. In order to find that answer, we have to tune our hearts to God. Can you keep calm and pray? Well, the first thing you got to do is trust God's reason and try praying more and tune your heart to God. Here's the last thing. Thank God for his power. Again, <clears throat> let's go back to our text and Paul's pleading prayer. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you <clears throat> for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, there it is right there. We can keep calm and pray as we trust in God's power and not our own. Paul's question in the midst of all of this and his reason for even asking God to take this problem away was because he thought he could be more effective for God if he didn't have that particular problem. He could accomplish more if he didn't have whatever that thorn in the flesh was. And many people, most Bible scholars, believe it was an eye disease of some kind. It would make him more powerful. But that wasn't God's answer. God didn't want that for him. Paul, God wanted Paul to be in a position where he was forced to realize and remember that anything of any substance that was accomplished was because of God's power and not because of his own. I want to ask you this. Am I telling your story today? Do you think, you know, somebody called Pastor Ray about me and 
And he got this message together just for me today. Is there an issue of life that's had you pleading with God for a long time? I wouldn't suggest that you ever stop praying, but in the course of your prayers, you may want to listen for God to speak. God might be trying to tell you something. While you're telling God something, God might be trying to tell you something. Listen, stop, and listen. When Paul's heart was in tune with God, he came to a place of saying this, I delight in weaknesses. I'm happy for them. We want God to change our situation, but have we ever thought that God has put us in the situation to change us, to be used in the middle of our circumstances? Certainly ask God to change things, but also look for how you can minister or be changed by the circumstances that you face until they change. God doesn't do anything without a reason. God will not grant our every request. He will not take away our every pain. But he will always be there to work out whatever the situation of life needs to be for our good and his glory. Just keep calm and keep praying.